Greetings and welcome to the subtext. My name is Brian James Polak and I am a playwright and podcast maker living in Chicago. If you're a first time listener of the subtext, welcome aboard. In this space, I usually say what the subtext is, but since this virus hit, there is no usual. I suggest listening back over the past few episodes and you'll get a good idea of what we're all about here. This month, we have partnered with the Playwright Center in Minneapolis to share a recent online discussion they hosted in collaboration with HowlRound Theatre Commons. The Playwright Center has been hosting a series of online conversations for the past few months. This one is specifically focused on playwrights working across mediums. The writers participating in this conversation are Sarah Gubbins, Jen Silverman, and Emphaniso Eudofia. I wanted to include this chat because... I've wanted to have these three playwrights on the subtext for a long time. They probably don't even realize that. I figured this would be my one chance to share these brilliant writers with you. Jeremy Cohen, the producing artistic director of the Playwrights Center, who is moderating this conversation, does a pretty good job of introducing these playwrights. So I'll skip that part and we can jump right into their chat. This conversation was recorded August 11, 2020. Welcome to the Flairite Center. My name is Jeremy Cohen. Uh, I use he, him pronouns, and I'm the producing artistic director here. Uh, and on behalf of our board and our staff and the over 2,200 playwrights that we support each year, I am so pleased to welcome you to the third conversation of our summer series, Writing Across Mediums. We have folks tuning in online from all around the globe to be with us tonight, uh, including, I know last conversation, we had almost 10 different countries joined us and almost uh, a thousand uh, uh, audience members. So we just want to send all of you, wherever you're tuning in from, all the love and health uh, and good energy from us here in the Twin Cities. In this moment, in the middle of it, uh, of justice and of activism, of art making and transformation, we're gathering together this summer to hear from an extraordinary set of artists. Here at the Playwright Center, we value the centering of artistic leadership in how we approach our work and all that we do. And today's conversation has gathered some of the smartest artists I know to talk about their work. I'm so excited to spend time with them. We do have one final amazing summer conversation coming up this month on Tuesday, August 25th at seven o'clock uh, called Musical Metamorphosis. Uh, this is a really unique opportunity. It's an intimate conversation with award-winning singer-songwriter, Jonathan Brooke, who will talk about moving into the world of making new musical theater. And it will include some performances actually of a few songs from those new theater pieces. Details on all of our events can be found at pwcenter.org. This panel and four-part series is co-produced with the amazing HowlRound Theatre Commons, who we love so much, and is being live-streamed on HowlRound TV tonight. I also want to send a special thank you to our supporting sponsor for this series, Knock Inc., whose underwriting has helped bring tonight's conversation to you free of charge, like nearly everything that we do, while also ensuring that all the artists are paid for their time and their work. For nearly 50 years, the Playwright Center has worked to provide a platform for a wide diversity of voices and to create deeply accessible programming by making all public events like this one tonight free. We serve a global community, as I mentioned, of over 2,200 playwrights from around the world, providing submission opportunities, classes, playwright gathering, script feedback, and so many other resources. If tonight's conversation inspires you, and we hope that it will, 
we hope that you'll consider making uh, joining us in our mission and consider making a tax-deductible donation tonight. Gifts of any size make a huge impact. Please feel free to visit pwcenter.org slash donate. And also, if you're interested in learning about becoming a member, uh, please visit pwcenter.org slash join. So slash donate or slash join. Uh, but either way, just keep coming back and hanging out with us. Um, finally, I wanted to lift up one more effort coming out of the amazing Twin Cities tonight. Um, this is around the company True Roots, uh, in, uh, who has done a collaboration with the Playwright Center um, and at the leadership and helm of it all is the incredible Shea Cage, uh, playwright, actor, director, artistic director, activist. Um, she has created in partnership with us a, a, a living anthology called A Moment of Silence, which is a historical archive and celebration of blackness uh, in Minnesota, launched through the commissioning of over 55 black Minnesotan artists through this moment of transformation. The extraordinary Shay is the curator and the artistic lead on the project and the anthology is online now. So you can find it at blackmnvoices.com. Again, that's blackmnvoices.com. All right, let's get into tonight's discussion. Uh, uh, it will be approximately 80 to 90 minutes long. Um, we will talk for a little bit and then have a Q&A section in the last third of the conversation. So feel free to send your questions in throughout the conversation and then we will try to sort them through. I think we already have 10 questions and we haven't even started yet. So uh, I am uh, excited to hear from you all. Um, and we'll do that in the last piece of the conversation. You can send them into questions at pwcenter.org or if you're viewing this live stream on Facebook, you can post your questions in the comment section there. Again, the email for questions is questions at pwcenter.org. All right, are we ready friends? Tonight, let's get into it. And to do so, please help me welcome to the screen, the ones and only Sarah Gubbins, Jen Silverman, and Infaniso Udafia. Please help me welcome them to the screen. This is 1000 people clapping for you as you enter the screen now. Come join us friends. Hi, Gubbins. Hi, Infaniso. Hi, Jen. <laughs> Hi. Hello. All right, I'm going to do a little bio, get it out of the way, and then we're going to go from there. You ready? <sighs> it's painful. It's painful. Right. Sarah Gubbins, you're up first because you're alphabetical. Sarah Gubbins is a Chicago playwright who now lives in Los Angeles. Her full-length plays include The Kid Thing, Cocked, The Drinking Problem, I Am Bradley Manning, FML, How Carson McCullers Saved My Life, in Loco Parentis, and Fair Use. Uh, Sarah won a Joseph Jefferson Award for Best New Play for the Kid Thing. Uh, FML, How Carson McCullers Saved My Life, was commissioned and produced by Steppenwolf Theater. And The Drinking Problem, formerly titled The Water Play, was developed as part of the Playlabs uh, Festival at the Blair Center, where Sarah was a Jerome Fellow. Sarah is a TV producer and writer known for the Amazon hit I Love Dick. Uh, writing on FX's Better Things and this spring's stunning smash hit film, Shirley. Please help me welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. 25 years, she looks 13, but I've known her. <laughs> so the film is coming out tonight. Um, Jen Silverman. Hi, Jen Silverman. Hi. Hello. Jen is a New York-based writer whose theater work includes the brilliant collective Rage, a play in Five Bettys, which had its world premiere at Woolly Mammoth, its New York premiere at MCC, and its London premiere at the Southwark Playhouse. Uh, the incredible play The Roommate, which has been produced all over the country, including the Humana Festival, Williamstown, Steppenwolf, directed by the amazing Felicia Rashad, Longmore, South Coast, and others. 
The Moors, a play that I love that we were joking about earlier, world premiere at Yale Rep, New York premiere with the amazing Playwrights Realm. Go support the Playwrights Realm. We love them so much. And Witch, commissioned and premiered by Writers Theater in Chicago and now seen all over the country. Jen is a proud member of New Dramatists, an affiliated writer with the Playwright Center, New George's, and Space on Rider Farm. Her collection of interlinked stories, The Island Dwellers, was published by Random House, and her first no novel is forthcoming with them. Jen also writes for TV and film, uh, including on Netflix's Tales of the City. Please help me welcome back to the Sword of Playwright Center, Jen Silverman. <laughs> Yay, Jen Silverman! <laughs> this is gonna be a love, all. just a love. We're just gonna love on each other. Uh, and last but certainly not least is the amazing Infaniso Udafia, whose plays so Sojourners, Run Boy Run, Her Portmanteau, and In Old Age have been seen at American Conservatory Theater, New York Theater Workshop, The Playwrights Realm, Magic Theater, National Black Theater, and Boston Court. Uh, she is the recipient of the 2017 Her Helen Merrill Playwright Award, God bless Helen Merrill, and the 2017-18 McKnight National Residency Commission at the Playwright Center is a proud member of the amazing new dramatists. Uh, and Feniso is currently commissioned by ACT, Hartford Stage, Denver Center, Roundhouse, and South Coast Rep. She has worked as a television writer on third series of Netflix's 13 Reason Why, and the first seasons of both Apple TV's The Amazing Little America, that episode, oh my God, oh, Feniso, uh, and Pachinko. And as an actress, which I love to mention as well, uh, I got to see some of it sometimes, and I do, she's a, uh, off-Broadway, and Ngozi's Anyanwu's uh, The Homecoming Queen, and the feature film, Fred Won't Move Out. Please help me welcome the amazing Infaniso Adavia. A thousand people clapping for you. Um, hi, friends. It's so nice to see you all. So we had, for folks at home, um, or wherever you are, uh, we had originally slated this conversation as part of our spring season of new work um, in response to the global crisis that has affected so many vulnerable communities. And at the center, in conversation with so many writers, uh, we were hearing about how they're really, um, that theater was really hard to write in for the moment and that folks were really interested in working as artists in different forms, in different structures, in different constructs. And at the center, at the same time, we were determined to create a series of jobs for potentially suddenly unemployed or lightly employed writers and theater artists. And this conversation that we're having tonight was meant to help bring that season to a close. Uh, when the public murder of George Floyd happened, just eight blocks from where I am coming to you tonight. And I say that in all the conversations and panels that I'm on um, to really center ourselves and our voice and where our country is at this moment and how we're thinking about things at the Playwright Center. As we all continue to reckon with how best to make the necessary substantive changes in systems, in communities, and in our world, go Kamala, writers continue <laughs> of so many conversations about how we're gonna move forward. And I couldn't be more thrilled and grateful to have these three brilliant colleagues and friends and collaborators of mine with us tonight. So tonight we'll share your incredible array of work, how you've moved from one form to another. Um, and I'd love to start with maybe each of you just sharing a favorite writing moment in maybe two different genres. So like this play that I love and this thing that was really an important discovery for me or kind of a moment that I realized about why I love theater and maybe something about television or something in novel form or, or screenplay. Um, Gubbins, let's go ahead and start with you tonight, can we? Sure thing, Jeremy. Um, there's so many parts to that question, but I think it was, uh, 
I think I think there's delightful moments of discovery in I, I've only I, I'm no Silverman. I haven't written a novel. Mm-hmm. I don't even think I could I mean thinking about thinking about writing a novel is impressive to me. So uh so I've worked in television feature writing and theater and I think in each of those arenas the moments come very unexpectedly. Um, the television writing, I, I don't know if I can tell you a moment per se, but I do know that how an idea forms out of a conversation that starts in the most tangent, like the most unintentional way that then captivates an entire room is probably the thing that I love most about writing television um, is because that that thinking collectively is such a weird thing for somebody coming from theater in terms of like the writing of a screen, you know, to the pre-writing to be doing that collectively for me was so odd. So I just, I loved how, you know, quite frequently we would find in the in the room just the idea for what, what ended up being the fifth episode of Isle of Dick really started week one of the show and we knew that we wanted to do that episode but it just came out of us all organically talking about the first time that we realized we were sexual beings and it was a room of no cis men so it was just us um and then yeah and and to have that then form into an entire episode of television was kind of magical but it it comes from everybody having energy around it um is that was that the question yeah yeah and i'm just so so i think you've talked about it kind of in in relation to creating tv versus a theater moment is there a theater moment for you that defined for you um um, that defined for me as a writer in particular, like, oh yeah, this is, this is, I, I'm in the right place at the right moment, or even partially that. I don't know that we ever, any of us ever fully have that, but yeah, this, I'm, I'm my voice is right. I, I, I think it's always for me, I mean, mostly for me. I mean, there's many moments, of course, but I think sometimes when the actors just this is an obvious thing to say, but when they, when they're speaking lines and I don't know what's coming next, even though I wrote it and I really have no clue what they're about to say and to feel like, where are they going with this? When, you know, it's like they're playing the music and I'm in the audience listening to it. Sometimes I'm like, what are they doing? And then sometimes I'm like, wow, what are they doing? But it's always, I think it's the moment when I give it over so fully. Well, rather when they take it, because of course I don't think I ever give it over. But um, and they just make it themselves, and they make it their own, and the and their own psychology and their understanding of character takes a departure from anything I'd ever seen or expected in my own imagination. Um, So I think, yeah, I, I definitely there's a moment in there's a fight in the middle of cocked where I was like, what is going to happen uh, watching it? And that's that was cool. cool. <laughs> that was cool. 
I remember that fight. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a fight. <laughs> Paniso, how about you? Sarah was saying it's like playing music, which makes me want to go to you next because I think you so quickly and lyrically in so much of your work. How about for you? I really love theater writing because I get to hole up in my, my little room and I am an actor. So I am like acting my lines as I'm saying it, you know, like as I'm writing it, I'm acting. And sometimes I look like an insane person and I feel like an insane person, but I, I feel my body enough to go, oh no, this scene is good. And I get excited by myself. Um, and I enjoy, I, I sort of enjoy that flow. Like if I can figure out how to make myself cry, I'm like, ooh. Uh, and I had a moment in her portmanteau when it was at um, a New York Theater Workshop uh, where I have three women and they are really mean to each other because of real pain, just pain. It's a lot of history and there was, there was a way Adapero, Chinasa, Gogo, and Jenny Jules were eating each other on stage. Um, and for a second, I was a spectator for real in my own work. And I, I mean, and I'm vocal. I will, I will talk and be a little inappropriate in the theater. Um, and so I'm like in a in a preview going, girl, don't say that. That's too much. As if I didn't write those things. <laughs> I was like, my girl, calm down, calm down. <laughs> you know? so, there's something about theater where I get to um, when the actors get it and they get it and they get it real good, then I get to really become yeah. an audience member in a way that I like. Um, when it comes to TV, uh, TV writing, I'm, I'm really still finding my feet in film. I did my first feature, uh, so I'll speak on TV more so. And I, um, lately I've been in a couple of rooms where people aren't afraid to like pitch into. Cause like, I'm not one of those people that has a fully developed pitch right away. I'm like, I got point A, maybe. So, um, I've been in some really collaborative rooms where somebody will be like, I hear that point A, and this is how you feel in B and C. And I'm like, really? That's how you see that? That's amazing. Okay, and then somebody will catch D, and then before the end of it, you've got this whole big thing and you don't know where it came from. Um, I do, I do love that. And I'm finding the second thing I love um, that's a close on par with this is that I feel as if TV is suddenly not so afraid to do theatrical things every once in a while if you find the way to do so. And so I, I am loving a lot of the innovation and that I, it's feeling like I can think like myself and that's held. That's really powerful. It's powerful to hear both of you talk so much about collaboration and the way that collaboration works and still inspires you, even though the dynamics of, of those engagements are different. I mean, they're different play to play and they're different show to show. So they're, I mean, you know, but I think interestingly in form, I think there's a lot of assumption that gets made about the lack of collaboration in somehow in, in sort of TV and film writing. And, and yet I hear writers talk all the time about how beautifully, especially when you're in a great writer's room, it, it's a great room. It's a great space to really like flex different kinds of muscles than you do as a playwright, um, which I love hearing about. So thank you for sharing that. That's 
That's that's so great. Hi, Jen Silverman. Oh, hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hello. Um, will you sh will you share a little bit about your thoughts on it as well about kind of different forms and yeah, like yeah. realization love moments? Yeah, I mean, hearing Sarah and Lisa talking about theater, it's making me miss it, frankly. Um, I've been I've been trying really hard to be okay with where we are right now, but it's, it's tough. Um, but it is with both TV and theater, what I love so much about each of those forms is that deep collaboration, that with theater, you're in a group of actors and designers and the director, and you are sharing a brain toward a vision. And then with TV writing, particularly in the really like good, healthy, connected rooms, you are again like finding a story that you are all telling together. It feels to me like being in a good TV room feels like being part of an oral tradition because you're telling that story out loud to each other before you're even putting it on the page, you know? And there is so much, even I was, I'm in a TV room right now. And even today I was listening to the way we were telling the story to each other because we're breaking an episode. And it was so, um, beautifully communal that somebody, <laughs> to Infinito, to your point about point A and point B and point C, somebody would pitch out a thing and they'd be like, and then we end up here. And then somebody else would be like, I'm gonna take it back two steps. What if we take a left instead of a right and we end up here? And then my showrunner has this phrase, she calls it going up the mountain, which I really love, where you, when you're testing an idea, you go up the mountain. Um, and if you don't like the view, you come back down and it's really simple. Uh, and so people don't get sort of stressed out about, wait, I thought we were telling this story and now we're going this direction. But we were going up the mountain, we went up several mountains and I felt like we could have been sitting around a campfire. You know what I mean? Like we were just telling this story to each other in a variety of ways. Um, and then ultimately we all picked away and that's what we'll do. But the counterbalance to that is novel writing, um, which I love because it's so solitary. Um, it's deeply solitary and then it's incredibly intimate because you work so closely with your editor or I don't, I can't speak for other people. I work very closely with my editor at a certain point. I mean, she is a brilliant woman who is basically a really amazing dramaturg. Um, and so once I give her a draft, we are in that draft together, you know, but before that point, I'm just by myself in a room day after day with a novel and, and what, what I've come to realize is that I live best when I can move between the intense solitariness of that practice and then whether it's a TV room or a play, the sort of intense communal practice of being together. But one or the other only, um, at a certain point, like I start to lose my balance a little bit. Um, I'm curious, um, I wanna just talk about novel writing for a while, but let's pause on that and keep and come back to it. How, I'm curious process-wise for the three of you, like how projects come to you. That's a question that I think people want to know all the time in terms of um, the story or point A or whatever that thing is. What comes to you? Does the form come to you? Are there stories that you're excited to tell that are kind of arriving and you're like, wait, is this a book? Is this a screen? Is this a, is this a film or is this a TV show? What is this? How, how do you arrive at kind of form and structure as well in your process? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's a question that I, I think I, I struggle with that question. That's the beginning question. The beginning question for me is always, is it interesting? 
am I captivated by it? Does it make me curious? You know, whatever it is, whatever the story is, is like, I have to, I have to be a little obsessed by it in order to want to do anything with it. So then, so it's that first fuzzy phase of like, why are you bothering me? That then goes, you're really interesting. And I can't wrap my brain around what you are, where you belong. And if I don't really know that, that's usually something I really want to work on. Um, if I'm like, this would make a great TV show, then it's going to be, sh can we swear? No, we shouldn't. We should not swear. Um, uh, Sorry, it, yeah, it, yeah, 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 you're good. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's just going to be fucked. And um, so, because it's, it's going to be formulaic. Because if you can right. see it, oh, I can see where this is going, then it's not fresh and new. I do think, though, that with the play, for me, um, it's all about, like, being able to hold a breath even more than a movie. Like I want this, I want the whole thing to feel like an experience that can fill the lungs and then, you know, and then be expelled. So that there's something about the containment of the theater um, idea. This just, that's just, and, and because I always want to, there's something about um, the central question of a play for me, um, which I, I think this, the plays I tend to write are a little bit more, um, dramaturgically conservative um in terms of their structures but that's there there's an argument there so the argument is something that i need to hold and um but the rest of it is like the idea uh, now it's even more complicated because it's like <laughs> is it television well what is television is it uh <laughs> you know I, I might be working on a project that could be six episodes six one-hour episodes or 12 half-hour episodes or they could be we could call it a drama drama or we could call it a comedy it could be a limited series or it could be uh you know, you know like so even the time in which you're thinking about what is television is very different um and i think i think having just worked a little bit in in the feature land um that feels more like a play to me so now when features are starting to creep up they feel it's that it's the same impulse that I have around theater in, in essence, you know, like different, but. And then Fanisa, how about for you when you were like writing a screenplay or like how do things arrive for you? Um, I still think mostly in the language of play and or short story, because those are those are the mediums I find myself writing within. Most of my short stories, actually I've also, I do a, a, a bit of poetry as well, but that is not usually for public consumption. My plays are. I, uh, but to answer your question, I think it has something to do with like potency and punch. I, I, there's something about those forms that allows me to like, I mean, Sarah was kind of alluding to it, kind of like lock you in a space and time and make you kind of like dive into some deep vat with me. Uh, and uh, yeah, maybe also because of acting school, I do think a lot in dialogue, you know? Yeah. So I, that's the way, there's just the way my, my mind processes. I'm not at the point, even though I write a lot of TV, I don't know that I'm dreaming TV yet. Um, like I don't wake up and go, my Lord, this is gonna be the best TV show. You know, it's almost like I'm still at the point where like I have like an agent or a manager going, isn't that a great TV show? That idea you just had, don't you kind of want to reformulate it? And I'm like, I didn't think of it that way. But yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, 
I'm, um, and I, yeah, so, yeah, I, short answer is I still think in a certain kind of way and I'm, I'm breaking into um, a new kind of dreamscape. And you also have like classical training within you deeply, yeah? How does that, I'm just curious to stick with that question for one second. How does that training, what is that training for folks? So I, I can stop pretending I know all the things. And how does that relate to like how you approach them writing in form and stuff? Um, it's in my plays a lot. I, uh, what, years as an opera singer training and then also used to play jazz trombone. Music was my first artistic language and then I went acting and then I came into writing. So if you actually see my plays, I, I kind of do describe them more as musical scores going, this is the key um, and uh, you have to play it in this key. I mean, at one point, a director of mine, Victor Maog, actually was like, you can set a metronome to this. Like, so I do sort of, um, the composition is all over my plays. And when I am having fun in TV, that does sort of creep into. So there is something, um, there is something about music and style that happens a lot in my work. Is that answering your question? Yeah, it's gorgeous, thank you. Yeah, I love that. So Jen, it's interesting. I mean, I have to say, beyond just being a, a pal who was excited for you, like when I first learned about Island Dwellers, I was like, God, I love this. Like, I understand this artist in a different way. You as an artist that I knew and you as an artist whose work I've read for years, and that you just, uh, as you talked about the solitary nature of, of writing a novel and all of that, I'm, I, was, I just felt like I grew in my understanding of you as an artist in, in that way. I, I remember where I was standing when I read that information. I was like, oh, yes, 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 yes. I can't wait to read that. Um, I'm curious for you, as we're talking with our colleagues, is there a calling for you about how that develops? Or are you clear like, oh no, this is a short story and this is a pitch for a TV show, or, or and this is a play? I'm pretty clear on what is a play. And other than that, I lack clarity. It takes me a while to get clarity on most things in life, but that particularly. But with theater, I am I love to watch any kind of theater, but I am drawn to making theater that can only occur inside of a theater, like theater that can't be TV, it can't be a movie. It is intensely, um, I don't know, physical in some way. There is like, I want plays, I want to make plays that have moments of rupture in them. You know, there's a dance, there's a song, there's a clown act, there's the stage blows apart, like something drops. I mean, I want with theater to do something to the bodies in that space because I so, so love when I'm in a space and something is done to me. Um, and I'm thinking, I mean, Brandon Jacob Jenkins in Octoroon or Young Jude. Lear, or like these were seminal moments for me of thinking like, oh, David Atchemy's Marie Antoinette, when that, the dirt drop, and yeah. like there was something done to me by watching that and being present, the energy changed in that room, everybody in that theater reacted and it felt like communion, it was amazing. So that, I mean, the theater that I make is that. And, and so when I have an idea or there's a story I want to tell that is inherently durational, then I think, is this a TV show or is it a novel? Um, 
and I, and usually I don't know the answer for a while. You don't, it kind of takes you a minute to figure out which it is. Yeah, and, and by spending time sort of with the characters with what is the question that I'm actually asking, you know, because they're also a thing that both TV and novel writing share is the incredible sense of intimacy. It's an intimacy because you carry with you a novel, you read it in bed, you read it on a plane, it enters your life. And similarly, the way that we binge TV, it's like you are alone in your private home space with these people who start to feel like you know them, you know? And so with, when you're, tr when one, when, when intimacy like that is the currency that you're sort of, that you have to trade, it takes a while to figure out, um, yeah, which, which is the best structure for the story, at least for me. Um, one thing that I love about all three of your writing that feels like maybe the one thing I can pull together is that intimacy is that um, because you write so radically differently and also for for each of you, like your plays are so different than one another, just thinking about theater, but I am so utterly seduced when I am in a theater in that intimate way in which I am like, is this play flirting with me? What's happening right now? I feel... <laughs> deeply moved. I feel like it just, it just asked me a question that I, I wasn't sure I was ready for, but okay, we can go to that next level together. Yeah, we can go there. Let's go. Um, and I remember Finiso sitting, you know, at the Magic in San Francisco and watching one of your pieces and feeling that, um, God, how is this person who is not on stage right now reaching into my heart and asking me a question with dialogue from a character. It just felt like, oh, I get what theater can do. It was another one of those moments, partially because the space was so beautiful for it. And partially um, it was like, I think it was like early previews or something when I came and visited. And like, so there was also that excitement and newness of like, oh, hi, you're so cute. What's going on? And I love when theater can have that intimacy. It's something I'm craving now that we are so disconnected in these kinds of ways in our life. Um, that kind of intimacy feels so valuable. So it's a real treat to, to hear you all talk about it tonight. Um, I was actually gonna go to questions in a little while, but there's so many of them that are pouring in that I think I'm just gonna, let's chat with our friends at home who are tuning in from all over and, and see what folks have to say. Um, why don't we start with, um, oh, here's a great one. And we can just have one or two of you can answer this, however, whoever wants to. Um, this is from Glenna, hi Glenna. Um, how do you manage feeling pulled in seven different directions creatively? Where do you begin in organizing your thoughts and following through? And do you find yourself sometimes rebelling against your own structure? I actually know the answer to this for at least two of you. <laughs> Jen, let's start with you. I, well, Jeremy knows this. We've worked together way too many times. You know too much about me. But I, I would draw structure. I'm obsessed with structure. It's the way that I understand what a story wants to be. I'm obsessed with what the container is and where it breaks. And I think for me, structure is always up for grabs. It's always negotiable because the question is, what is the structure that fits the story? And the story, every story by definition, the way that I understand it, it needs a different structure to tell it. And so just concretely, like I am basically a 12 year old who does arts and crafts. I mean, I will draw structures with Sharpies and I draw the index cards. And I have in mean, here, look, at my desk right now it's like colored i mean it's shot this is fucking blue stick like you know so i think i wasn't supposed to swear anyway the point is oh, i thought we could swear oh can we 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to behave. I'll try. <laughs> um, if I, my best advice for anybody who's trying to figure out a structure that is resisting them is let it resist you and then redraw it. Draw it as many times as you need to. And that can be a line that then when it when the hinge happens, it, the line goes left or it can be a series of concentric circles. Or I mean, I'm... I'm all about just visually understanding it on the page and letting it shift and shift and shift until something catches you. Thank you. Can I tell a boring story about structure? I wish you would tell a slightly interesting story about structure. <laughs> oh, that's fair, that's fair. Um, okay, I'll spice it. I, I think, Jen, you and I think same but different ways in the way, in the way that like you're like, let me break it, let me break it open. And I'm like, what is the structure? What is the structure? I don't know. And then once I see something that looks like structure in there, I'm like, this now this is the rule, you know? And how, and so I contain, contain, contain after, after like the content comes through, I'm like, you know, and, and I was working on this script a couple of weeks ago and maybe it was a month, I don't know. Um, and. And and I thought, oh, okay, so this is this is the you know the opening, and then there, this the first act's going to be here, and this is the structure of the first act, and these are the containers of the first act. Then I realized that I had in my mind just assumed that it was uh, like a four act structure, like you know teaser at one, two, three, four, five, I guess five acts, and um, and then realized I was doing this thing where I'm imposing a five act structure on what was a three act piece and so that once i broke through that i was like oh it's even better we, we don't need those two acts you know i was looking for two acts that did that actually were living with inside the inside the script itself so i think for so so sometimes I, yeah i i'd like to just try to drill down and like put as many limits on the the structure and see how far that can take me before um abandoning ship Slightly boring, but not. But there was a recovery, Jer Jeremy. You see, because there were visuals. Six point two. Yep, it was good. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Vanessa, how about you? Um, there were like the beginning part of that question was also about being pulled in like a thousand different directions. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just to finish with like structure, I'm I'm not good with structure in the beginning. Like I once I feel like a imposed structure, I, I do rebel. I, I It's almost like I need to emotionally feel something. And then once I emotionally understand, and it's like, it, it's kind of somatic with me. I'm like writing and I'm pacing, I'm up in the morning, you know, like I'm, it's a, almost like a body experience. And then I kind of just key in and my body goes, that's right. And then I can start asking myself questions about structure. Because if I ask it right away, I get like trapped in logics and then I, I don't write. It's been actually a problem um, lately as people are like, I want this from you. And I'm like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't think of it. I don't feel anything yet. So I don't know how to write it yet. Um, and uh, to the beginning part of the question about what it is to be like pulled in seven different ways. Could you actually read the top of that question again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, how do you manage feeling pulled in seven different directions creatively? And then where do you begin in organizing your thoughts and following through? I think 
I'm realizing I used to be more nimble. I'm not as nimble now at managing um, like seven or 15 things. It's um, because I know know for me, uh, one project demands so much. So part of what has been happening is I have been like going, I can handle three, like I can handle four. I, in order for me, I, I need to actually set that container, especially lately. Um, and usually if I can, I like to mix it up. So over here, I'm in a writer's room and that's okay. And when I'm in a writer's room, then I can be um, editing a play. I probably don't like creating and creating you know, like everywhere, like one place I'm editing, another place I'm um, generating and another place I'm just softly thinking about. And that's helpful for me um, in managing that. That's super helpful. Just what part of your body and your brain are you listening to and trusting and not trying to do all the things all at once? I think Jen, you were sort of talking about that same thing. Like I can do, I can be solitary and I I can write a novel or it can be in a room, a TV room, and be collaborative in that way, or 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 a, or a you know a, a theater room. But what, yeah, that going back and forth, I think for a lot of people is a that pull is hard for writers. I think. Um, I'm gonna go to another question. Um, maybe we'll talk about dialogue just for a second, um, because it functions so differently across forms, right? So, sort of, I guess the question is about sort of what's the driving force in your creating dialogue, and sort of like what advice or thoughts do you have? When you think about, even if you're, sh- you know, sharing or or giving feedback to work for, with colleagues of yours, when you're thinking about dialogue, how does it? What's the force for you, and how that comes out? I mean, I'll go. Um, I think for a dialogue, one of the first questions I ask is, "Is it true? Is it real?" Because there's something that happens in like place and I see it sometimes in TV where uh, almost anybody could be saying that or also like why does this seven-year-old sound like a 34-year-old savant like what is going on you know so like is it true and then I do think a lot specifically with theater which I think gets kind of tricky but in a way that I really like is it true and is it also carrying action to what end And it's the marrying of those two things that I, as an artist, love to explore. Um, But I do think it is pretty tricky. Is the is the are the is the dialogue carrying a thrust and also to the human being? Do you question that as an actor when you're exploring character from an acting perspective in terms of truth and? I do, I do, because the moment I put it in my mouth, it's almost like. Um, would I, it actually like affects my, again, I'm, it affects my body, you know, like I, 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 I don't know, it, uh, and it, mm, and my words right now are splaying, but like, like if you have a character who's in the center of pain, you know, like one of my favorite things was all the ums, the ahs, and the weird stilteds that were actually dialogue for me. You know, and then you say one word and it's like, bye. <laughs> I, you know, that's because that's how humans are, you know, and that mm-hmm. actually conveys a lot of story. I feel that in my body. So I don't know how to explain it more than that. But 
Thank you. That's great. Jen, Sarah, dialogue. Pretty good. What she said. Yeah. Yeah, I, that thing. I, um, I do think dialogue is very, very different when uh, when you're talking about television. Um, I think you know, I, I I definitely bucked against it for a long, long time, and then I started understanding the role of editing and the role of the camera, and the and the the need for you know dialogue in theater to hold so much action is just completely dissipated with a camera in a lot of ways not to say that that a scene that can't still i mean good writing in television is dialogue that that has action in it and is authentic but um in some ways there the role of dialogue because of the intimacy of the camera um dialogue is covering that intimacy and it's almost like creating tension between the interiority that an audience is experiencing even though and is is being privileged to experience with the characters kind of wrestle to cover that intimacy in some in some fashions and then and then sometimes it's just about character and 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 being able to express in a in a much more stylized and flourished or genre way, you know, the kind of great absurdity of 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 characters that that hold um, dialogue that's so singular, you know. So so I think that the focus becomes a little skewed in on the screen. I agree. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you the another question that's come in. Um, this is a question about how do you end a story? Um, and, and maybe this effort is partially about like the craft of how I know that like I want to end a play or end this novel or where I want this screenplay to stop, like because that's the end of that's the end of the story. And maybe also it's like internally about process about when do I know that, so maybe one's about content or like what the story is and one's about like internal motor and um, I'm gonna wreck this thing if I don't stop. That that was seven endings and now I think I've got to choose the one and go with it and watch it now for a bit. What's your process with that? It's hard. I mean, that's very project specific, but I think more and more I'm interested in or, or like the, the question around the ending becomes about what what is the question that you are not answering, but you are leaving the reader or the watcher or the audience with? Like, what is the central question of the thing? And then what is the moment in which that question is most naked and available, you know? Um, and with, I mean, I'm thinking about the novel that I, that's coming out, I guess, next year with Random House. It's called We Play Ourselves. And it's, so The Island Dwellers was like a book of interlinked stories. Interlinked meaning different characters showed up in different stories. You got to know somebody through two people's point of view or three people's point of view. Um, each story stood alone, but that they talked to each other. But And writing that was like a completely different experience than actually just writing a novel novel, which is what I have spent the past couple of years doing. Um, and with the novel novel, <laughs> That, I mean, the ending was a real question for me. I rewrote it so many times and that was one of the places in which 
um, my editor, Caitlin McKenna, was so, so helpful because we, I had written, the novel moves in three parts and each part jumps to a different city where this character has fled, basically. And the third part, I had been in Sydney at the time for about a month and I was writing it and it was, it was set in Sydney. And at a certain point, my editor and I were going over the draft and she was like, this isn't the ending. Like, I don't know what it is. I don't know how you feel about it, but this is, I, this is not it. Um, and she has such good instincts. She knows me so well. And, and I could feel that she was right, but I just didn't know what the answer was. And it ended up being um, that I was asking the wrong question, essentially. And, uh -huh. and throughout that third part, I came back, I went into rehearsals for Witch at the FN, and it was, I mean, talk about the toggling back and forth thing, like I would be at, you know, rehearsals, and then I would have a half hour on lunch, or, you know, and I would be like trying to crack that ending. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it, this is not really the answer, because obviously every story has a problems folded into it around what how to end it but I think once for me once I get really clear on what I'm asking then I can get really clear on how we introduce the question and where we leave it. Does that feel similar or different for the two of you for Vanessa and Sarah? When it comes to plays for me, um, I, I am similar. They all, all of my plays have a question and it's, it's, it feels like once I'm done wrestling with the question, even if the answer isn't like in a binary, black, white, good, evil way, it just feels, when, when I'm, when I think I've interrogated for it from every angle that I could, then I know it is time for an ending. And I say that while also going, I do struggle with my endings quite a bit. Like I have, I'm thinking about a lot of the notes that I've gotten um, uh, and they all have to do with how I end, mm -hmm. which feels more elliptical than people would like. Um, uh, and I, I think it is because I have this thought in my head that I've never been able to dissuade myself from that if I'm writing real people, then nothing ends. And so everything just kind of feels like soft launch into next phase. You just don't get to see it. So I have a lot of endings that are like that, but I realize that I'm answering this question in two different ways. Going, I know I am done when the question is, like I've interrogated the question, but I never write an ending that feels like it's a period ending. Um, and I find it actually easy in TV when I pitch things that are like that, for that to exist in TV. Um, just because you're always looking into the next phase of a life anyway. Uh -huh. So that really is quite helpful in my TV life and makes dramaturgs kind of cranky with me in my playwriting life. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's what I have to offer on. I, I just want to say in terms of the process, because I'm a little different um, than you guys. I'm so overwhelmed by the idea of writing anything that if I don't convince myself I know what the ending is, I, I, I can't even get started. So, but that's a good trick because it's sometimes it's like you know, to, to, to use a running metaphor, like when you're, you're like towing, you're using that visual toe of like, I just have to get to that tree and then I'm gonna be done with my run. And it's like, I know exactly where we're going. 
but I don't know how the heck we're going to get there. I find that it's the same thing in my process, which is like, for Shirley, I knew exactly what the ending scene was going to be. And no 10 hours or 10 weeks in, in editing was going to change that. It was going to be that ending. I really wanted it to be that ending. And it felt like the right ending. Now, I'm never done working on anything. So that is never, you know, like when to be done with something, that's a, that's a completely different question, right? Process is like, I don't think I'm, I don't, I never, it's never done. I'm never, I've never at an end. When you're in that, I know one of the things that people talk about a lot is uh, that we think about as writers is, oh, maybe this, that, that part of that story or that question is actually just not meant for this story. It's not that the question is wrong. It's just, this isn't, this isn't the place it belongs. It belongs over here in this story about the octopus. That's actually where the question really lives, always. Um, do, does that happen for you, Sarah? Like when you think about that, that? Yeah, it does. But also I, I think like everything I've ever done there, I, I, there are just moments where I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'd never figured that out. You know, yeah. please never, oh gosh, fast forward, you know? <laughs> Or like, yeah, no, I know. I realized that we've never mentioned the downstairs neighbor and now they became pretty integral to the reason that you're going to leave. But, you know, it's it's just, you know, it, there's, but, you know, my professor, Rebecca Gilman said to me, Gubbins, you got to chill out because if nobody really cares who's come, like who's coming through the door, you don't have to set it up. All they want is somebody terrific to come through the door, you know, it, and then when they leave something else terrific to happen. So just stop, you know, but I don't know. I'm sure everybody's like that in a weird way. Right, Jen? Um, <laughs> I also really like that advice that Rebecca Gilman gave you and I'm going to remember it. Just put something <laughs> terrific through that door and then they leave and something amazing happens. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah, but you know, the point is like, you're delighted. You're like, oh my God, who is that character? I don't care that it's three in the morning and the trains weren't running. Like yeah. those little, what, you know, Hitchcock called the like the plausibles, Mr. And Mrs. Plausible are back and you're like, yeah, I don't care about the plausibles. I, if, if, I mean, if you do care about the plausibles, then I'm not doing, you know, like I haven't done something fantastic to, yeah, to distract you. Anyway, are, are you um, are you artists who for whom um, when you are seeing other artists work or other kinds of storytelling, either structurally or content or or form or whatever, where you are really inspired by a thing uh, to do that yourself? Not the same exact thing, but your version of that? And if so, I'm curious, are those artists that you're inspired by in your form or are they like a jazz pianist who you really, you kind of, kind of do a thing? I'm curious who you're inspired by, I guess. Jen, who are you inspired by? God, that's such a complicated question. I mean, yes, I am. I will definitely do that. If I see something that turns me inside out, it, whether it's a novel, whether it is a show, I will think like, how can I, but it's, the feeling is like, how can I engage with that? Whether it's the way that, that it made me feel, what the risk that I saw it take, like the huge, just like bold, ambitious leap that it made, how can I absorb what it felt like to witness that and, you know, and then try and see what happens. Um, 
I feel like who am I? I mean, lists and lists. Like I've been reading a lot of poets lately. Well, I mean, lately I mostly read a lot of poets. Um, and there is something in like Kaveh Akbar, Hannah Gamble, um, Nico Amador is a poet that I really, really love. Um, Sylvia Plath, Ted Hughes, Yates, um, and Suzanne Shange. I mean, like when just being around that language, what's interesting to me is to read a poem and to feel like I want to write something. And then what I write is a novel, an episode, right. you know, a screenplay. But it, but it, but there is something in the boldness, the ambition, the spark, the electricity that that poet is channeling that that feels like you want to deploy it at the, in your fingertips, you know. Um, the yeah. change for me is that I feel like it reminds me that, that when I think about inspiration, it reminds me of something in myself that I have forgotten or is dormant or that I'm not quite sure how to like engage with or interact with somehow. So something is like, oh yeah, don't forget that's why you're in this. That's 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 why. That's why you and Govins made a theater company 25 years ago. That's why you <laughs> watch Infiniso talk and speak and you're like, oh right, that's why I'm making art because listen to her. This is what this is why I'm making art. And and I uh so I I feel like sometimes that inspiration is just turning the light on. It's very selfish and very narcissistic, but it's it's figuring out what turns the light on for me as well as a creator too. Yeah, and if I can add something to that, what you're saying is making me realize in whatever the medium is, the thing that just electrifies me is when it feels like somebody's telling me a secret and it's a secret that belongs to me, but somehow they know it, you know, mm -hmm. and there are plays that I have sat in the audience and felt so um, held by that play because that play is telling me a secret about myself. And so then when I leave it, I want, like, yeah, I, I want to, I want to channel that secret telling. I want to, to channel what it takes to do that. Um, but, but those, I find that so inspiring and that's, yeah, one of the many things I miss right now. I, I find too, this is a weird answer. Um, I've been really attracted to just tone and like voice and humor. And I just finished a, I've just finished working on a feature that's a, that's a satire. So I guess that's probably why, but it like, so understanding. So I kind of am inspired by things that are so deeply themselves, you know, like Austin's humor or, or, you know, what Shirley Jackson's just kind of her wry ability to observe the intricacies of human psychology in some sort of, and, and then stay. And, and so I like the, the play between like an authorial distance, but that still has a comment. All of those things kind of like, really, I find, you know, bubbly, bubbly. It's, it's like, oh, to have that, to have, to, to, to do, make something that has like such a, such a announcement of itself is like so amazing. I, but you can't really set out and go like, I'm going to write something that has an announcement of itself. You know, you can just go like, what does this sound like? Who are you? And I think the weird part of this is I spend a lot of time thinking about food and what meals I'm gonna make and how I'm gonna make them and what they will taste like. And so I just read a lot of recipes and a lot of cookbooks. And I, I like wake up in the morning and read some cookbooks and it like gets me going, you know? And I can tell you, I have probably made the same 
35 meals in the last two months, but it's, you know, it's not like I cook all the time. I mean, I, I don't have, I'm not a great, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, but I just feel like that the idea of just playing in that space that a chef or, you know, a, a can put together this idea of a meal for you is inspiring. Um, when I think of, hmm, yeah, so I think most of the time I'm inspired by the thing I need and don't do, or I'm afraid <laughs> of doing. So, um, they're the, they're the constants. Like I read, um, I find a lot of my inspiration inside of novel actually. And of course music, which is probably not a surprise, but, um, like I remember what it was to read Toni Morrison's Blue Sky, like like viscera, remember it. And then go, oh, you can tell a story that's as raw as this. And like, it's almost like it was a little, um, a dose of courage going, cause it's sometimes when I'm writing, it can feel like I'm writing in and around transgressive space. And so mm -hmm. I am taking a look at a lot of writers who are doing something similar and almost drawing courage because low key, high key, I'm afraid. Like I'm writing some of this stuff down going, it shouldn't be written. It feels like it shouldn't be written down. But then there are the people that I'm looking at who are doing it and I'm like, courage girl, um, go ahead. And um, it, it can be beautiful and raw and authentic. And uh, it, it could be like a sojourners for me that I wrote, you know, like I can slow burn a play, you know, like, and I get that from novels a lot going part of what makes it great is that I've bought in and it's slow. Mm -hmm. And so can I do that in, in play form and not lose you, you know? Uh -huh. um, and when it comes like right now, I'm noticing that I'm, I'm inspired by like Tank and the Bangers which is a music group out of um, New Orleans. And it's real whimsical. Like she's real creative. Um, and I'm wondering now in and around like Black Joy. So of course I'm attracted to Tank and the Bangas, right? You know? you know, I've been listening to a lot of Jill Scott again. So I'm like, probably I'm gonna be very interested in the Black erotic soon because listening to Jill Scott will get you there. Soon. Wait a minute. Soon. I know you. Transgressive. So, as that, then all of a sudden you're like, what am I watching in this theater? Should I be watching it? <laughs> so, um, yeah. Um, I want to just uh, shout out for folks. We're getting, we're going to start wrapping up here uh, in, in, a, in not terribly long. Um, so if, you, if there are any other questions, questions at pwcenter.org. Um, this is a question for <laughs> this is a question for Jen from Meg Moroshnik. Um, <laughs> hi, Meg Moroshnik. I love you so much. Um, uh, what was it like when writing your novel to go from writing collaboratively to working alone? I think it made me a better collaborator because I didn't have to hold on to things. Um, I, there was a space, and I knew that that space where I would go and I would make solitary decisions by myself and test them and see whether or not they failed and make that decision myself. And so knowing that that existed felt 
because I also I was working on this novel. It was the writers on writer on set for Tales of the City, and so I'm thinking both in terms of the theater and in the TV space. I felt like I could show up as a collaborator and say like, the idea doesn't have to be my idea and there might be a better idea and what do you need right now? And how can I facilitate that? How can I be of service? Um, also because at the end of the day, I was starving for a kind of collaboration to offset the solitariness, you know? So I think I thought it would be really hard. Um, I didn't love that those deadlines overlapped and I was worried about it, but but actually it felt really joyful most of the time. Not all the time at all, but most of the time. Um, and the, oh, the other thing I would say about that is I, I had this myth in my head that I couldn't write unless I had these long swaths of time, uh, which, you know, and while I, there was a while in which I was teaching and that sort of helped undo that myth, but, but moving between novel space and collaborative space also ended that myth because it was like, we've got a half hour for lunch. Like I'm gonna sit in the back of the set and write, write for the next 25 minutes and it will be what it is because that's the time that there is. I think parents, though, have that figured out. I was going to say, that's how oh, yeah. I, yes, it is, it is, yes. Big Morostic with one or two yeah, exactly. of your own. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's such a beautiful question, Meg. Thank you. Um, I'm curious, can we stick with myths for one second? I'm curious, this might be sort of an interesting conversation to tease out. Sarah Gubbins, um, what are, what's a myth? that you realized you were telling yourself as a writer that you that you broke through and and shifted something about yourself and then finiso i'm coming to you next um then i need more time yeah to if actually you had more time than yeah. what i would think better, I would think deeper, I would be more interesting, uh, I would be funnier, you know, all of this, all of the superlatives, but if only I had more time. And then, and then, no, again, once you just completely accept the fact that you're going to be horribly disappointing to yourself all the time, it actually frees you up a lot to say, no, maybe this is going to be fine. You know, this is my best work today, and it's going to be you know, to really start to solve the problems that you're seeing in your work and that this idea that like, oh, but I needed three more years is it's not necessarily true. I mean, I also do think that you change you, your, well, at least I do, like the world changes, the world changes you, hopefully you as a person grow, you're never the same writer. It, and so, so the idea of, I mean, yes, in some, some things take time, but I, I actually think I don't need, you know, that, that was my myth. That's my myth, you know, because if I started a project five, six, seven years ago, I'm a completely different, mm -hmm. I'm living in a different world. I'm in a completely different thinker than I was then, you know? Yeah. Again, it's the it's the elliptical, it's the circular, much more than the linear, which just it gets us every time, right? That we're like, oh, look, that's what success looks like, or that's what it's all done looks yeah. like, or it's it's complete, and I feel fully satisfied by that, you know, like in these ways that are intangible, how we torture ourselves. Finisa, how about for you? Is there has there has there been a myth for you as a writer or as a creator that you've broken through? Um, specifically in TV writing, 
yeah, I thought I had to be like good at everything. Like, like I thought my pitches just needed to be the most profound, amazing, put them into script as is because you're a genius. And I, it has been a while now to get used to how I pitch. And I did, I, I beat myself up. There would be people that I would, I was actively studying going, I don't understand how you see structure that way. I don't understand how you have this whole character arc in your, or or it's not even that they have the whole character arc, that they, uh, that they are so present that they, they can um, move so, um, lightly quickly sharply in and around idea like it's nothing and i'm sitting there going god give me one thought right now please just give me one thought please and then it would never come out like a pitch is supposed to come out whatever that means it would come out like some beautiful poetic meta something and even myself i'm like girl you have got to stop talking that way you have to like what (laughs) what is the pitch (laughs) so and so I've become I've I've sort of um understand what my value is I'm like I'm the are you considering this person who brings meta thought and drops that like a load in the room and it's just like and just becoming secure in that and once I was secure in that it freed up my brain to just like be a little better um so yeah, my myth was that I, I thought I had to have the perfect pitch at all times and constantly talking and script ready from the first thought. It's not a thing. It's interesting how many of these things are about, I wonder if there's a world where I could accept myself more fully for who I am or be more forgiving of myself just a little bit. Except maybe yours governs, which is like, I'm going to be really hard on myself and I'm just going to be really hard on myself. I just have to know it and understand it differently. <laughs> because I feel like understanding my own neuroses has been a really important part of my career. Yeah. <laughs> so, I love you. And also there are ones that you're like, bless and release. Like you don't have a place here anymore. You were useful for me in the artist that I was two years ago. Thank you for your service. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dismissed. There's a question um, that David uh, Caprita has asked, um, and it, I'm gonna, I wanna like spin it just a little bit, David, if that's okay with you, I wanna, but the question is about sort of when you didn't have a room full of people to bounce your ideas off of, and you're in a position where you have to really ask, am I a writer, am I a producer, am I an idea person? And the question is sort of what did you do in that period, in that moment in your career? And I think maybe the, the question, because I'm, I know that so many artists face these moments all the time, and certainly this moment of the world, like what is happening? You know, what what is what am I doing this in the context of? Um, I'm curious for you when you've hit a place that's the like, or when you hit it multiply. You and your you and your you and the spirit of the world. What do you come up with in those moments where you're having to ask yourself, or you're really finding yourself asking those yourself those questions? How do you move through? I think 
I was lucky that I came to writing later because I didn't have to invest so much in what it meant to have the identity of a writer. Mm. So that was a big blessing. And I guess in, in the moments, definitely, I mean, big deserts of time when I was just trying to get any kind of work possible. Um, I kind of never dwelt on that question because that question was about a perception, hmm. an external perception of me. So it helped. I mean, the struggle of identity is like huge, but I think it was always, what am I curious about? Can I push through this self-doubt and find something to be curious about? And once you're curious, now you're just, maybe maybe that's too short term for some people but it's always the work that leads you through you know and the work is the curiosity so oh yeah that's that's how i've been dealing with it Denise, how about for you can you say ask me that question one more time please when you hit moments of the big questions, the big hard questions, the big self-doubt moments, the like, what am I even doing? First of all, do you? And second of all, if you do, or if you have, how have you moved through those moments? How do you move through those moments? I hit that feeling a lot, actually, like big self-doubt. Um, a lot of it is also like self-doubt that's all like, I mean, this is going to be years of therapy talking, but it's like the same problems I'm having in my life somehow are also the same problems I'm having by writing. <laughs> so um, it's not like I can't divorce myself wherever I am. It's some of the same insecurities in both places. <laughs> so um, for me, I, one of the biggest things that I've learned to do, it's a little harder working in TV is I, I actually allow myself to go away. Going, I you're having a hard time with this right now. This is not gonna be the end of your world. Uh -huh. uh, uh -huh. You're gonna go and you're literally what I do is I will go and take a bath and do things like go on a five mile walk, which kind of placed my body in a different space and time and release some of the pressure that I am putting on myself because that's part of what's going on. It's just me overloading me because these are all my, my personal insecurities. So I'm, I'm building my own cage in prison and then wondering why I'm in there. So I go away and I've, um, it's harder with TV in that I feel the pressure of a schedule and a ticking clock and that I can't go away for a week in the way that I kind of do with a play, you know, if I'm in the middle of writing a play. But I have found that um, things like massages and eating well, forcing myself into friend space, just the momentary clearing of the brain. And then I come back and I'm better able to work. Um, and just being kind enough to myself to go, oh, you're doing that thing. It's time for you to breathe. Thank you for sharing that. 
Jen, how about for you? I really read the Gubbins answer really resonated with me. I think it is. And it was making me, Gubbins, as you were talking, it was making me realize I I don't spend a lot of time asking, am I a writer? I spend a lot of time asking, am I writing? You know, like that that it is about the verb and not the noun. Um, and and what you were saying about following the curiosity, that that feels key. Like when when it feels like there isn't a lot to hold on to, what I hold on to is like, well, what is the actual work? What is the work? And and work, I think, has so many heavy negative connotations in our culture. But I just mean, what is the project of this thing? What is the curate? Where does the joy lie? Um, right. Somebody a long time ago said that if you always follow where the joy lies, you you will never get led astray. And while I think that say, statements that have always and never in them are rarely true, that one <laughs> a real sort of North Star for me. Um, particularly where writing is concerned. I'm gonna um, bring us to a close with um, a joy question. I'm gonna go off of the joy moment. Let's be in joy, let's leave with joy. What is, um, what's, a, what's some storytelling recently or a storyteller recently that is bringing you some joy? I just read a novel, not just read, I just reread a novel. It's called Astonish Me and it's by the novelist Maggie Shipstead. And it gave me so much joy the first time and then the second time and then I had my partner read it and then we were talking about it. And it is, it is a love letter to art, but it's also to ballet specifically to dance, but it is also this real sharp interrogation of what it takes to be an artist, what it takes to follow talent what it takes to admit to yourself that you maybe you have the joy, but not the level of talent that you wish you had. And how do you make a life anyway? Like it is just the most delicious read. And particularly in a moment where I can't go to the theater, I can't go to dance, I can't go to an art gallery. This book gave me all of those things and everybody like, go, go buy it. You'll love it. <laughs> so good. Um, um, go, go, no, you go, go, yeah. I'm still thinking. <laughs> uh, it's been two big things. Oh, good. Um, I, I, I have not yet watched I May Destroy You. I'm, it's coming. I will. You I have will. not? I, I, I shouldn't have said that live. I have not yet <laughs> watched that. But um, it, it, it's, it's coming. Um, I hope to start in the next day. But I did rewatch Chewing Gum. Oh. Which I just, Michaela Cole brings me absolutely joy. She just absolutely gives no. And I just like to see that woman like pursuing her desire full throttle. Um, I thought it was, it's comedic genius. And so I sort of need like um, levity right now. So hence why I went back to chewing gum. Um, and then also I've been watching. Moesha, which is a complicated thing for me. Moesha is a complicated TV show, but deep 90s nostalgia. It's, it's complicated because I'm like, the fat jokes, the way we're dealing with queer people, we need to be better. But I also, um, what it's doing is it's, it's reminding me of what it was like to see Moesha, um, a character like that for the first time. It just felt revolutionary. So it's almost like I'm being dragged back into that moment where I saw 
her and was like, oh my God, this can be on TV. I had a moment like that with Moesha when I was young because I'd never seen a girl with braids in her hair be the center of a TV show. Mm-hmm. So um, those are the things that I am kind of watching and having fun with and bringing they're bringing me joy. That's a lot of joy. I, I, I want to triple the, the I May Destroy You um, I'm gonna do it. recommendation. I'm not, the joy is watching a genius, to me personally, watching a genius artist completely understand, actually tie in a lot of the parts of the conversation we've had tonight about how to tell story, about why to tell story, about letting it be complex, about asking really hard questions and just like the sculpting, the composition, the dialogue. I just, I feel grateful when I watch that show, like how lucky we are to have an artist like Michaela Cole creating in that in that kind of, um, it's just, I find it breathtaking. I agree, I couldn't agree more. I have a week. I've given myself a week to get it started. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Also, I just feel like since we're talking about Moesha, we should just we just need to acknowledge that Brandy has dropped another album in the not too recent past. I just, I just, as always, we should be lifting up and centering Brandy because she's Brandy. Come on, she's crazy talented. So let's support her in her in the career point. A lot of joy. A lot of joy. Sarah Govins. Um. I was just, I was going to say, I may destroy you. So there you go. Um, Just, it's just, you just did it. And it's, yeah. It's talk about just something so fiercely, fierce all around. It's so fiercely, it's so fiercely vulnerable. It's so pissed off. It's so what I, 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 you know, I, somebody that you want to cheer for and, and must listen to. I just love, I love the show. Um, uh, yeah, that's bringing me joy. And I'm finally going to maybe read Middlemarch before the election. So that's also bringing me joy. <laughs> I, d- I don't know why I have it in my head that I have to read Middlemarch before the election, but I do, and I'm doing it and it's bringing me joy. Um, and also, I'm going to eat the corn that I grew tonight for dinner. So that's bringing me a lot of joy, too. That's a little bit of a brag, but it's that's true. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> tell us, tell us, Gums, what are you going to do with that corn? Um, over sharing, I had oral surgery last week. So I'm going to just, I'm going to grill it and then I'm going to get it off. And then I'm going to put a lot of stuff on top of it, like some cheese and chili and lime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of butter and salt and pepper too. Oh yeah. Okay. It's almost like we're there with you. It's really good. It's almost like we're in the Midwest where you could get the best corn. The super sweet corn is just unbelievable right now. It's so good. We miss you all here. All three of you, the corn and your genius. So good. So good in Minnesota. Um, I want to thank the three of you so much for taking the time in the middle of what I know are insanely busy schedules, especially this week. Um, and for your patience in rescheduling this conversation, I I I wish that I had the the like um, bracket for why the three of you. Other than honestly, I have so much love and joy for the three of you, and I really, in all of my darkest moments right now, 
it's been a long year and I really do believe that storytellers are going to help remind us of the why we keep finding that thing in ourselves that pulls us forward and that the multiplicity of voices and the way we tell story and decentering old bullshit ideas of canon and all that other stuff we're moving out of the way and really thinking forward. I believe that artists, our storytellers, will see us forward through whatever these moments have in store for us. Um, and I just love the three of you so very, very much in my heart, as you know. And um, it's been a real treat to spend time with you tonight. I appreciate you sharing it like really vulnerably and honestly um, with about a thousand people from about 10 different countries who are hanging out with us tonight. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. me too. I know. It's a little us hanging out. Um, thank you so much to folks who are watching at home. We really appreciate you taking the time tonight to hang out with us. Don't forget to tune in to uh, the Jonathan Brooke uh, final uh, fourth conversation in a couple of weeks. It's going to be awesome. We're going to rock out some songs and um, think about how theater and new musical theater is coming forward. There's so many incredible artists making it right now. So we'd be excited to have you join us. And then stay tuned as we announce our season, our public season at the Playwright Center coming up in the very near future. Have a great night. Be safe, be peaceful, keep protesting. Please wear a mask and get us all back to the theaters and health soon. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Thank you to Jeremy Cohen, Sarah Gubbins, Jen Silverman, and Infiniso Udofia for sharing this conversation. And thank you to the Playwrights Center and HowlRound Theater Commons for allowing me to put this on the subtext. If you want to see a streamed version of this conversation, you can find it on the Playwright Center website, pwcenter.org. The Playwright Center would also like to thank supporting sponsor Knock Inc. Their support made this conversation possible. Thanks also to Daniel Reck, Director of Marketing and Communications, for helping me put this episode together. Music from this episode is from Cambo. The theme song is High by International Pen Pal. The subtext is brought to you by American Theatre Magazine, a program of theatre communications group. KJ Jarbo is the associate producer. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by yours truly. Rate and review the subtext wherever you find your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at subtextpodcast. Email us, thesubtextpodcast at gmail.com. Or call us, 505-302-1235. There are so many ways to holler back at us. Anyway, thank you for listening. The play filling me up this month is This Much I Know by Jonathan Spector. It's a fantastic play about the family one is born into and interconnectedness, and there's a little bit of time travel in there too. Check it out if you can. <laughs>